Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 164 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Monday, January 11th, 2021. And I know it's been a surreal seven days or so, six days or so um, here in the United States. I'm just going to kind of talk about football today. Because it's partly my job and partly it's a coping mechanism. Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. Today's show, we're going to do three different things. We're going to talk some NFL playoffs. We're going to talk national championship game tonight. And we're going to talk to Sean Watson. Uh, before we do any of that, though, your usual cavalcade of reminders. Please do a follow along, along with the hijinks at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Check out the work. At a variety of places, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, Pat's Pulpit, USA Today's Touchdown Wire. And that is where I want to sort of start because we woke up Sunday morning um, after a fascinating uh, opening three games of the Super Wild Card Weekend. More on that in the second segment of the show. To the news that Deshaun Watson might sort of be forcing his hand, given the situation down in Houston, it does seem like... Watson has become very frustrated with the situation with the Texans, not getting the input on the general manager and head coaching search uh, the way he thought he was promised from the McNair family. And that has opened up the floodgates into speculation about what teams might try to make a move to acquire a quarterback who, in my estimation, has made a leap this season into top five status. Um, however you want to rank quarterbacks, however you look at quarterback play, I don't think you can watch Deshaun Watson and come away from watching him thinking, this guy's not one of the elites of the position right now. And he did it on a team that was 4-12. and And how many times did you need to see Watson doing everything he could to keep the Houston Texans in the game like he did in Week 17 against the Tennessee Titans team trying to fight to win the division only to let, be let down in the blink of an eye 
by his defense. And I'm sure at this point, you've all probably seen the footage of J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson walking off the field after that game with Watt basically apologizing. You know, we wasted your one of your seasons. We wasted one of your seasons. And I, he's an elite. But now that the speculation is out there that he might force his way out of Houston, obviously potential landing spots becomes the discussion. And given that this is a New England Patriots podcast, I believe that is where we have to start. Because any time a quarterback, a player, a quarterback, whatever, of his caliber becomes potentially available, the list of teams that shouldn't call is pretty small. I mean, just off the top of my head right now, the teams that shouldn't inquire about the availability of Deshaun Watson, since the Kansas City Chiefs, the Green Bay Packers, Um, maybe the Seattle Seahawks. I guess if you really like Justin Herbert, Chargers got a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal. Maybe the same could be said about the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, looking at some of the teams that are in the playoffs, the Baltimore Ravens probably don't need to inquire. But we're starting to run out of teams. If you've got any questions whatsoever about your quarterback position, I think you have to at least call the new general manager of the Houston Texans and inquire. Now, there are a lot of potential suitors out there for a player of his caliber. And so from New England's perspective, obviously having a quarterback situation to figure out, you know that they would love to acquire Deshaun Watson, if at all possible. Could the salary cap work out? Well... Yeah. I mean, I think just generally speaking, Watson's contract is something that the Patriots can get in right now. For the 2021 season, base salary of $10 million, sign-up bonus of $5 million, cap hit of $15 million, yearly cash of $10 million. That's not a ton of money. It really sort of escalates in 2022. So to get him under the cap for the 2021 season, it's not a heavy lift at all, which means teams that might be in a tighter cap position could probably swing it for 2021. Now, just as a refresher, I'm working off over the cap right now because they have a little calculator that I'm going to use here in a second. But the Patriots, would the cap projected to be $197 million? That's over the cap's number. You know, we'll see if that's where the cap ends up. There's still some speculation about that. Patriots are expected to have $59,898,242 in cap space. So you can see, you can get Deshaun Watson in. Now, if you start wondering about what it would take to acquire Deshaun Watson... That is where it gets to be a tougher lift from New England's perspective. Because if you're the Houston Texans and you're going to trade away Deshaun Watson, you're going to want a massive haul in return. And what can the Patriots offer? Well, in terms of picks, 
they really can't offer a ton, or at least, you know, let's say they say the pick at 15, a first in 2021, I mean 2022, a first in 2023. You know, let's say they offer that and maybe you throw in a second rounder this year and they can kick back, you know, a, a day two, day three kind of pick, right? Would I do that for Deshaun Watson? Yeah. Again, you're talking about an elite quarterback talent. If you think about all the hubbub about some of the desirable head coach, general manager jobs, right? Everybody's saying Jacksonville, a team we're going to talk about in a second, is the most desirable landing spot because of all their draft space and draft capital. You still have to figure out quarterback. And whatever you think about Trevor Lawrence and how he might be the next Andrew Luck and generational talent and all of that stuff, it's not a sure thing. Football and life tell us that there are a few sure things. I mean, just ask the 19-0 New England Patriots. Just ask best pitcher winner saving private ride. There are no sure things in life. Particularly not in quarterback evaluation, even with somebody like Trevor Lawrence. You know, same thing for the Jets at two. They've got capital. They've got draft picks. They've got cap space. And so... The issue becomes, can the Patriots put a package together that's going to be more desirable than, say, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have a ton of cap space. They've got six picks in the top 100, including a pair of first-rounders. And if you're in Houston's shoes and you've got, you know, we're just talking draft picks right now, the Jaguars are offering you picks at one overall, and I believe 25 overall is their other pick. I'm trying to confirm that right now. And the Patriots offered you 15. Yeah, Jacksonville is 1 and 25. Say 125 and a 2022 first rounder versus 15 New England second rounder and a 2022 first rounder. Which one are you going to take? You know, New England's going to have to sweeten the deal. Where it gets a little interesting is if you start wondering about players. Like, who on Jacksonville's roster would sweeten the deal if you're the Houston Texans? Eh? What if the Patriots throw in Stephon Gilmore? Eh, that's a little bit more enticing. But you can see how this might start to spiral to a point where the New England Patriots might say, look, that's just too much to pay. We'll stay at 15. Hopefully we can get the quarterback evaluation process right. With all the attended things about the how and the who and all the stuff I've talked about previously. But I think you do want to at least kick the tires on Deshaun Watson. I think you have to. This is a, a proven commodity at the quarterback position that has gotten better every season. Now, who do I think could be in the driver's seat for Watson? I think the Jets and the Jaguars for sure, given that both teams have six picks in the top 100. Each team has a pair of first-rounders. Obviously, the Jets have one from Seattle, thanks to the Jamal Adams trade. Both teams have a ton of cap space, so they can certainly make that work. Neither roster has a ton to offer in terms of a tradable player, so that might make it a little bit tougher especially when you get to the team picking third, and that's the Miami Dolphins. And I think if there's something to these rumors, the Miami Dolphins might be the team to watch 
because they've got a ton of draft capital too. I mean, let's not forget. Yeah, they're picking a three. That's not their pick, friends. That's the Houston Texans pick. They've got a pick at three and a pick at 18. Whereas the other ones have either one in 25 or one in 23. You've got three and 18 for Deshaun Watson. And what you what you else might get, stumbled over that a bit, is a quarterback back into a Tungo Vailoa. Because if you're the Miami Dolphins and you trade for Deshaun Watson, you don't need Tua. And if you're the Houston Texans, now you get a rookie quarterback in year two of his rookie deal, two first-round picks to add talent around him, including a third overall pick. As great as Deshaun Watson is, if he's going to force his way out, well, that's a nice way to sort of rebuild things pretty quickly. Another thing, team I would kind of keep an eye on, San Francisco 49ers. Ted Wayne over at The Athletic wrote a fantastic piece last week about the beauty of the McVay-Shanahan outside zone type of offense. And how it's made quarterbacks like Goff and Baker good. But what we're seeing this year is how it's making a guy like Aaron Rodgers great. Because that's kind of the offense they're running. Well, imagine Watson in that kind of offense. So that's kind of how I feel right now about the Watson situation. Would I love New England to acquire Deshaun Watson? Absolutely. The guy was my QB1 that year over Mahomes. Do I think they have enough ammo to do it? No. Look at Jacksonville. Look at the Jets. I mean, even look at the 49ers because the 49ers, they don't have the draft capital in terms of picks. Like San Francisco, they're sitting there at 12, so you're a couple spots ahead of New England, but then you don't pick again until 43, so it's not the kind of draft pick package you could put together, but you could fold Jimmy Garoppolo into the mix there. You know? It's, it's just a name to add. And plus, I think the scheme fit would be very attractive from Watson's perspective. So it might be a heavy lift. The other thing, would you trade Bill Belichick for, him, for Deshaun Watson? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I mean, I think if you start thinking about just names in the NFL that you would trade for just anything, coach, quarterback, whatever, you know, the list isn't that massive of players that I would not trade for him. But Bill Belichick is definitely on it. Like, we're not trading coach. I'm just saying. I'm trying to nip that one in the bud. So that's some Deshaun Watson stuff. Up next, we're going to talk NFL playoffs. We had Super Wild Card Week. I'm going to quickly spin through some of those games. And a little bit later, some thoughts on the National Championship game, things that I will be watching here on Monday night. That's all ahead on episode 164 of The Sco Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 164 of the Sco Show. And going to talk some NFL playoffs right now. We had Super Wild Card Weekend. We'll start on the NFC side, the games on Saturday. 
the first one I think was a bit of a stunner in a sense. This was Rams at Seattle. Seattle obviously seemed to have an advantage because John Wolford was getting the start. Seems like it was a benching of Jared Goff. Goff had had the broken thumb and some surgery. It seemed like he could perhaps go. There was speculation that he might get the start. But then it came out that Sean McVay decided midweek that, no, we're going to roll with John Wolford. And you saw some of that early in the game. Some of the reasons perhaps why McVay made that decision. They were using him on designed runs. He was moving around a little bit. Seemed a bit more fluid in the pocket, particularly one compared with Jared Goff. But then Wolford goes down. And now Seattle's in a situation where you're now playing against Jared Goff, who, as we know, hesitates to begin with. Now he's got a broken thumb. He was certainly missing on some throws. And Seattle couldn't get it done. Obviously, the huge play in that game, Darius Williams with this the tape study pick six jumps the smoke screen for DK Metcalf. I think Seattle now has some questions about offense. There were a lot of, let's just put it this way. Brian Schottenheimer found some time under the old bus after that game. Cause both Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll talked about how they failed to make some adjustments at halftime, given what the Rams were doing defensively. Speaking of the Rams defense, Aaron Donald remains tremendous. Jalen Ramsey is incredible. Um, and, and now the Rams get, a shot at Green Bay. And with that defense, you can do a lot with Donald up front to sort of break up what we were sort of talking about a few minutes ago with Deshaun Watson and all of that outside zone, boot action, run action type stuff that they're doing with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Donald can kind of blow that stuff up. And that's going to be a fascinating game to watch. The other games Saturday night, Taylor Haneke. I know Tampa Bay won that game. They've got questions on defense, I think. Brady, if you were watching that game, and if you're listening to the show, you're a Patriots fan, you probably felt early on, Brady's not losing this one, right? He seemed to be crisp with with his throws. He was sacked three times, but still moved really well in the pocket. I do think Taylor Haneke, in a sense, is the story. He looked great. Do I think that Washington should go all in on Taylor Haneke? No. But I will say that he looks... Very much the part of, like, you're Colt McCoy. You're a long-term backup in Washington, and he will give you a chance. If you want to draft somebody in the first round and move up for a quarterback or swing on a, a Dak Prescott type of contract or whatever you want to do, you've now got your plan B. You've got your Colt McCoy for the next, your Chase Daniel for the next, like, eight years. Heineke can be that guy. Funny, I seem to remember back in... 2015, somebody wrote a scouting report that said that's exactly what Taylor Taylor Haneke could be in in the National Football League. And all that's right, it was me. Again, kids, take your victory laps when you can get them. And then the only NFC game on Sunday, Bears, Saints. I'm going to take a moment and plug the Nickelodeon broadcast because my kids watched it and loved it. They absolutely loved it. Nate Burleson, I thought, was fantastic on it. My kids were totally engaged. I... Credit to Nickelodeon. I thought they did a fun job with it. They explained the game. They taught the game, but they weren't like speaking down to the kids doing it. My kids loved it. And, you know, if you're a fan of football, you want the next generation to be fans as well. And I've got two young ones, a first grader and a fourth grader. I mean, Owen, the fourth grader, he was going to be watching the game anyway. But Simone dug it. And between that and Simone playing old school Tecmo Bowl on the Nintendo Switch with her big brother the past couple of days, we might be having a second football fan in the house now. So that's kind of cool. So that sets up 
New Orleans, they get Tampa Bay in a rematch of the two games earlier this year where New Orleans' defense really sort of carried the day. And I'm very interested to see if Dennis Allen and that Saints defense can do what they've done to Tampa Bay in the first two meetings against what is now a different offense. In studying Tampa Bay's offense coming out of the bye and talking to John Ledyard who covers the Bucks for Pewter Report, this is a different offense now. John and I have studied it. We've gone back and forth in the DMs. It's a lot more like New England's offense. Yes, two of the touchdowns, the Godwin touchdown, the Brown touchdown, were on vertical concepts. One was the Godwin was a bender right to left. The other one was three verticals out of a bunch look against inverted two, which stop running cover two invert. Just stop it. But watch how many times they run mesh. Like they had a mesh play in that game where it was Gronk and Mike Evans running the crossers underneath, which is just unfair. So it's a different defense than the Saints saw earlier. I mean, excuse me, it's a different offense than the Saints saw earlier this year, and I think a much better one. They've also done a lot of stuff, play action out of 12 personnel, which is where we thought they would be. They finally figured it out. So two fascinating games to talk about there on the NFC side. Now let's talk about the AFC. We had just the one game on Saturday, Indianapolis making the trip to Buffalo, and the Bills come away with the victory. I think my major takeaway from that game was the Josh Allen experience. And you can sort of sum it up with that drive before halftime. Bills stopped the Colts on fourth down, then on that ensuing drive. Allen's rolling all over the place. He's throwing dimes to both sides of the field. He gets a a free play on an offsides on a fourth down, and he throws a pick, but thanks to the offsides penalty, Bill's drive continues. He then throws a near interception, but he gets overturned on replay, and he caps it off with a touchdown run of his own. That was Brian Dable and Sean McDermott sort of trusting Josh Allen. And who will the Bills take on? They'll take on the Baltimore Ravens because in a rematch of a divisional round game from last year, a game from earlier in this season, Lamar Jackson finally gets two big monkeys off of his back, right? He gets the first playoff win, but I think more importantly, you get the comeback from 10 points down. Now, I know it was early, but one of the knocks on Baltimore, and it's something that I've said about that Ravens offense, is it's so scheme, game script dependent, right? If it's a neutral game script or they're winning, they can run what they want. They can use play action. They can get Lamar involved. They can rely on the running game. But if they're trailing, then things kind of get difficult for them, right? They can't throw themselves back into a game. We saw that earlier this year against the ball, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. We even saw it against the New England Patriots. Um, but they were able to execute that comeback. And part of it was, yes, it was early in the game, but they really won that in the second and third quarters. Their defense did a number on the Titans. Arthur Smith, if this was his sort of resume statement game for getting a head coaching job, that's going to be a tough one to sell. Um, so you get Ravens and Bills. That's going to be a fantastic game. Um, clash of different styles. Obviously, two quarterbacks from that 2018 class. That will, of course, be a huge storyline. Then, the Kansas City Chiefs, they're going to get the Cleveland Browns. And obviously, Sunday night's game was just a massive stunner. Browns get out to the 28-0 lead at the end of the first quarter. They hang a touchdown on the Steelers on the first play from scrimmage. Snap from Pouncey goes over Roethlisberger's head. Browns were rolling. Mayfield looked great. Stefanski was probably home in the man cave, losing his mind. They should have had a Stefanski cam 
going, although they were probably worried that he would like sneak signals in or something like that. But the Browns with a huge win. Um, Pittsburgh, to their credit, they fought. Um, they had a nice comeback in the second half. You know, they cut it to a 16-point game at one point, and they had a chance to make it a one-score game, you know, with about three minutes or so left. Uh, but Roethlisberger then threw his fourth interception of the game. They still came back deep into Cleveland territory, but eventually they just sort of ran out of time. And now they get the Chiefs. Um, and I think the thing with the Chiefs to wonder is down the stretch, Kansas City had, and I was looking at this today, back in week eight, they blew out the Jets, like 38-9 to nine or something like that. And then the rest of their games were all one-score games, except for week 17 when they rested everybody and lost by double digits to the Broncos. I mean, excuse me, the Chargers. And you're talking about one-score wins against teams like Carolina, Vegas, Denver, Miami, and Atlanta, all of whom missed the playoffs. And that 17-14 victory over Atlanta, that was Week 16. That was the last meaningless, meaningful football. So are the Chiefs battle-tested, iron-sharpened sharp, and iron, or are they a flawed team that got by thanks to a bit of an easier schedule down the stretch, and they're going to finally be up against it when they face Cleveland? Now, yes, they did have wins against Tampa Bay and New Orleans in that stretch, all by one score. But this was a different Tampa Bay offense then than it is now, for example. And this was Drew Brees coming back from injury, still couldn't really make throws. So I don't know about this one. I mean, obviously, look, anything can happen. Steelers fought back. Anything can happen in the NFL. Cleveland seems to have a bit of a momentum. That first playoff win. Sometimes that's all it takes. So this could be an interesting to watch. But that's a quick sort of recap of the NFL playoffs. Up next, the national championship game, the Natty, the Chip, on Monday night. And that's ahead here in episode 164 of this Go Show. Mark Schofield back with you to close out episode 164 of the Go Show. And we've gotten a lot done today, kids. I'm, I'm proud of your effort. Good on you for showing up this Monday morning. We talked to Sean Watson. We talked to NFL playoffs. I didn't want to leave you without some thoughts on the national championship game. So I'm going to talk about some of the things I'm going to be watching. And I want to start with what I will be watching, period. Now, just like last year, ESPN has 14 different ways you can watch this game. Now, some of them might require the ESPN app or whatever, but they've got the main telecast. They've got... College football playoff live on ESPN2. I know a lot of people like ESPN News. They're going to have the coaches film room, um, which is obviously a great way to sort of watch the game. You will learn a ton. Um, Gene Chizik, Dave Clawson from Wake Forest, Hugh Freeze from Liberty, uh, Sam Washington from North Carolina, AT&T. If you wanted to get super nerdy and like learn stuff, watch the sort of that coaches film room show. Um, you might miss some things happen in the moment. You might, you know, not see the game the way you're used to, but if you're just want to learn, it's a great thing to do or watch that like on a rebroadcast. Like after the game is over, you've watched the game, make a point to like, watch that. What you'll be amazed by the ability of coaches to identify concepts instantaneously. Like one of the things that fascinates me whenever I get a chance to talk to coaches, talk to people that have coached 
is just how quickly they can identify something. Like me, I've got playbooks open. You know, I'll see route concepts. And even though I'm pretty sure, I just don't know. I see coverages, even though I'm pretty sure, I just don't know. They just they just know it. And it's amazing to see that in real time. So if you get a chance, either during the game tonight or in a rebroadcast, watch that. I will be watching the All-22 version, which you can get via the ESPN app. It's what I did last year. Um, we got, a, you know, the big screen. You put it on that. You see it. Live all twenty two. It's 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 just amazing. That's how I like to watch games anyway. And obviously, I'm going to be sort of studying the two quarterbacks in this one. And I think we should sort of start there. Justin Fields versus this Alabama defense. Mac Jones versus this Ohio State defense. Things I think you want to keep an eye on when Ohio State has the football. Which Justin Fields do we see? Do we see the confident, and decisive guy we saw against Clemson, or the more hesitant guy we saw against Clemson? you know, in last year's national semifinal and say the Big Ten championship game. I'm very curious to see that. Um, Saban, facing a Saban defense is as close as it gets as to facing an actual NFL defense. I've mentioned Coach Vass, Chris Vassor. Um, He's got the Make Defense Great Again podcast. He's got an offensive podcast coming out soon. I talked to Coach Vass a ton. I asked him recently, look, if you could just read one NFL playbook, one playbook, period, forget NFL, just one playbook, defensive playbook, and learn from it, what would it be? And he told me it was a Saban playbook from when he was with the Dolphins of all places. It's an NFL system. And his split safety stuff, you know, the cover seven stuff, stubby stump and all that good stuff, it's an NFL test. That's what Justin Fields is going to face tonight. So how does he fare and which version of Justin Fields do we see? But then there's Mac Jones, who has a chance where they win tonight to perhaps lock up a first-round pick for himself. Things to watch with him. Does he make a mistake? He's been so good this year at avoiding the big mistakes. Can he continue that against this Ohio State defense? Can Ohio State get some pressure on him? Alabama has a great offensive line, but can they somehow find a way to get pressure on Jones, particularly without blitzing? Because the last thing you want to do is blitz and leave yourself in one-on-one situations against these Alabama receivers. You saw Devonta Smith. He just won the Heisman. They might get Jalen Waddle back. He's got the fractured ankle, fractured early against Tennessee. He's going to be a game-time decision. A matchup to watch, Sean Wade, the Ohio State corner, He's been a slot guy. They moved him to the boundary. He's struggled a bit. Might be a sort of safety convert or a slot corner in the NFL. Who's Wade going to be asked to cover? You know, can they can they play man-to-man coverage or do they have to do a lot more zone stuff against Mac Jones? And if they do do more zone stuff, is Jones going to be able to hit some of those tighter windows that might be created? So that's also something that I'm watching. So you've got the two quarterbacks, Obviously something to keep an eye on. I do think that matchup between Alabama's offensive line and the Ohio State D-line is going to be a massive battle to watch. Because if you saw that game, Ohio State-Clemson, that Ohio State defensive front beat up Trevor Lawrence, beat up that Clemson offensive line. And if you could start getting pressure on Mac Jones, you can force that one mistake we've talked about that he's been able to avoid so far this year. You might get yourself a short field. You know, can you stop the run? Najee Harris, obviously an elite type running back. 
Like Alabama looks on paper like the clear favorite in this game. But we said that a week ago with Clemson, Ohio State. And as I said earlier in the show, football and life have taught us that there are no sure things in life or in football. But it's going to be a fascinating game to watch. Um, I'll probably talk a little bit about it later this week. Um, that will do it for today's show. Like I said, we covered a lot. Um, I'm sort of experimenting here with the, the three-segment format. We'll see if I stick with it. Um, I do hope to get to, like I said, a second show this week. As you probably might have surmised at this point, plans for last week's second show were scrapped when the world kind of went awry for another moment. Um but we're circling back to reality yet again. Um, until next time, friends, I say it again, um, but I stay safe. Okay, seriously, stay safe. Um, yeah, stay safe.